layers that you have to take off when you're unlearning some of those things, um, those layers of shame. It's not just one layer of shame. It's not just one layer of guilt. It's not just one layer of, oh, well, you know, you're a bad girl if you do this. It's always such a pleasure to talk to Bethany Bennett, and I'm thrilled she said yes to coming back to the podcast because this is another epic episode. If you didn't listen to the first episode with Bethany, I highly recommend giving it a listen. It's episode number 32. I love talking to Bethany because it's like cocktails with my bestie. We'll gab about all the silly stuff and then also get super deep about things like how past shames and trauma can get in our heads while we write sex scenes. It was really fantastic to have her return, and I think this is a really great episode. But first, before we get to it, The Groomsday Prophecy has dropped, and I'm super proud of this book. So far, uh, first ARC reviewers are loving it, and some friends are secretly telling me it's the best thing I've ever written, which makes me feel really proud and sheepish all at once. KU readers, grab your copy fast. I think I am going to make the book wide. In other news, um, this coming weekend, I will be at the Fall in Love New England Conference, which is in Marlboro, Mass., just outside of Boston. And in addition to signing books, I'll be doing an author panel on the rock star, the movie star, and the sports star on Friday afternoon. And then on Saturday morning, I will be doing a live recording of Steam Scenes. Who doesn't love a little steam first thing in the morning? If you're in the New England area and want to grab a ticket and actually watch me do this podcast, visit fallinlovenewengland.com. Now, on to the interview. We have a return guest on Steam Scenes, which is like my favorite kind of guest, and it's really exciting because she's only return guest number two, but Bethany Bennett is here. She grew up in a, again, and Bethany grew up in a small fishing village in Alaska where required learning included life skills like cold water survival, along with several other subjects that are utterly useless as a romance writer, which I'm still not sure about. Eventually settling in the Northwest with her real life hero and two children, she enjoys mountain views from the comfort of her sofa, wearing a tremendous amount of flannel and drinking more coffee than her doctor deems wise. Bethany Bennett, thank you for coming back to the steam seat. Well, thank you so much for having me back. I'm really excited to be here. I am super (laughs) excited. So Bethany was on just about from the recording date just about a year ago, but y'all know that I sit on these, like I I have so many recordings banked because I'm always petrified that like I'm going to run out. Like I'm so petrified that I'm going to run out of guests, like guest record and like, and I'll be like, oh no, and I'll be scrambling for guests. So I always have like this huge bank of, in- I have like this huge number of interviews banked. But anyway, <laughs> it's been almost a year since your, um, since your episode aired. So I'm super excited to have you back. Thank you. Yeah. And so we can just, you know, people, if they want to hear all the the background history and the the, you know, what inspired you to become an author kind of type of, uh, type of questions they can go in. Yeah. And it was episode number 30 something. It was like 33 or something like that. For some reason, it's not showing up on, um, on like actual number on my website, but the title is burying bodies with Bethany Bennett and it's a doozy of an episode. So I highly recommend hopping on over and listening to that as well. Yes. And I do appreciate that, actually, that because this is steam scenes, I don't have to be like, make sure you have your headphones in, no little ears around, you know, I mean, like, I don't have to give that disclaimer. No, that kind of goes without saying. 
Yeah. Like, I feel like, oh, shit, like, maybe I shouldn't have that disclaimer at the beginning. But, you know, it kind of goes with the territory. We're talking smut. So, yeah. talking headphones about sexy in. Times, so. Headphones in. Okay, so my big burning question. All right, so the last time you were on, we talked about... <laughs> sneezed. Of course I sneezed. Okay. Bless yeah. you. We Thank talked you. about... You were talking about how you wanted to write a Victorian romance novel. And I'm very curious if you talked to your publishers and if they went for it. You know what? Um, I actually just signed the contract for <gasps> uh, for the series two days ago. Oh, um, my God. So they went for it. Book. Well, it ended up being tweaked. Uh, basically, because marketing. Marketing is a thing. Okay, Marketing, like, marketing is a big is, thing. And I am, since I, and I cannot cast any shade on this because I am 100% one of those people that will uh will judge a book by its cover like i have to like the cover in order for me to flip it over and read the blurb if it's a physical book in my hand right i i'm guilty of this i am myself guilty of this therefore i understand the power of marketing and the power of packaging and somehow in the historical romance landia world when it comes to covers and cover art uh regency gowns actually sell better than victorian gowns so the oh my god so it's very it's oh my god it is so specific so specific and so they were like we're cool with you doing regions i mean we're we're cool with you writing this as a victorian but are you okay with us having packaging that's regency and um and honestly there's so very little that i have control over when it comes to covers okay there's so so very little that i have control over um and don't get me wrong forever has popped out some absolutely beautiful beautiful covers for these books um so it's i'm not i'm not disparaging that at all but I kind of sat with that question of like well are you okay with having a Regency gown on a Victorian book and this is actually something I have control over and so I went you know what um my real comfort zone as far as writing atmospheric elements I'm because when you get into the Victorian area oh my gosh everything was happening at once Everything was happening at once. There was this massive, massive industrial revolution going on that was really actually hitting the people, right? Right. Those building blocks were were coming into into play much earlier, you know, during the Regency and all of that. But um, you you were actually seeing the ripple effects in society and people having uh, mass quantities of things available on the shelves and uh, mass produced items and railway stations and like all of this, right? So... The actual environment of London was very different in the Victorian era versus the Regency era, even though you're only talking about, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, and so, well, 30 years. But it, uh, I went ahead and said, you know what? The series is about um, female cousins that are working class heroines and they work in their family's bookstore. Oh, and so, oh I like that. So it, they're my Blue Stocking Bookseller series. And, um, oh my God, I like that so much. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. (laughs) So so from there I went, okay, now working class women have always existed. Okay. Women have to eat. Women have to feed their families. And especially in historical romance, we like to have this idea that women just sat on their chaise lounges and just like, you know, ate bonbons while, you know, while the rest of the world went by. And that's not the case for a tremendous majority of the population. And so um, I loved the idea of having working class heroines, but I knew that I was going to get dinged on it by readers who like make themselves the historical accuracy police. That was what I was going to ask you if this no. is going to be an issue with the readers. <clears throat> and so uh, 
I actually went and I went on a hunt and I found a print because um, I wanted to have visual proof. <laughs> this was the thing. It's not just, you know, some random historical romance author saying, no, no, it happened really, truly. Uh, so I went and found a, um, a woodcutting print from um, 1815, 1813. It's not in okay. front of me, so I can't give you the exact date. But it's, it's cool. It's a blending library um, from, from uh, in Scarborough. And you can look at it. And I was looking at you know, all the people. And, of course, you have the, the, the men and the women and the shoppers and all of this. And then there's a woman behind the counter in the far, far, far left part of the frame. And I went, there she is. There's my heroine. I can actually point to this is a primary source that showed that yes, women worked in bookshops, and um, and I have that image saved on my computer and on my phone so that I can whip it out and like wave it around like a little flag as justification. So, but the, also because this is I, a family bookshop, <laughs> so I was able to squeak it in and make it Regency. <laughs> I just kind of love that you have to have like this sort of source material to like wave and be like, no, no, it's a thing. It's a thing. I swear it's a thing. Like that to me is really wild. It kind of is. I, I, sometimes I wonder if it would be easier to just like work in the contemporary times so that you don't have people calling you on historical accuracy all the time. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Sometimes they call you on contemporary accuracy, right? Like, because sometimes, like, you you kind of... Okay, so pet peeve. Um... <laughs> Bring it. So, so pet peeve, sometimes they're, like, and I, and I get it, like, rock star romance, it is, there's a real fantasy element here, right? Like, mm -hmm. serious fantasy element um, that I think we don't talk about enough. Um, you know, because there needs to be world building. It's, it's almost like writing a, like an urban fantasy because I need to build the world. I need to build, you know, all of that. But I do struggle sometimes to read some rock star romances because there are certain details or things uh, like behind the scenes that people get really, really wrong. Oh, you, you know what I mean? And I, I only know it because I've been involved in it, you know? So mm -hmm. So it feels kind of not fair, you know? I mean, of course, there are books out there and stuff like that that you can sort of read to get a sense of what happens on the road or at a awards event or, you know, whatever. And, you know, but there is... But anyway, so there are things where I'm just like, that would never happen. You know, I'm that person. I'm that person. Um, and I don't want to be that person, but I do sometimes get to be that person. But but there are like there are things when you're even writing contemporary that you get called out on, and that sort of well that would never happen, you know, thing that goes on with with some readers. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, so I'm not then, sure then that it's you're safe. Hard, and then it will get up. There is no safe place in writing. <laughs> There is no safe space. There's absolutely none. Like if they're gonna be that kind of person, they're gonna be that kind of person, I guess. Oh well. Yeah, it's kind of like the one that's always like the you know that sort of like corrects your your when you get it wrong on social media because you were in a hurry. You know, like yeah, that that's the one. Or if you're on the road and you're like, oh yeah, shoot, gotta do that, forgot to do that, and so you're just like dictating it. <laughs> voice to text take care of it yay i got the piece of work done that has i forgot to do before i left the house and then you go back and like google messed it up <laughs> yeah. 
And you're like, I swear that wasn't me. It was the AI. I swear it wasn't me. Blame, blame the technology. Blame AI. <laughs> okay, so I think. Okay, so I think that's really interesting that the publishers were like, "Well, we're happy for you to write a Victorian, but we need to do a Regency gown." I mean, was was the fashion that different? I mean, Regency was such a short period of time. Was the fashion that different that you couldn't sort of like get away with it? Well, um, honestly, it comes down to waistline. Oh, because okay. It, once you're in Regency, um, when you're, Regency was all about uh, lifting up the ladies, lifting up the boobs, so that it was like a shelf, right? Right. Uh, the the silhouette was very different, and then there wasn't a waistline. It was this empire waist that just cinched in, that basically would follow like what we would think of as like our underwire bra kind of line. Right. That's where the waistband was, and then it was just a drop from there. Um, so some people say that that silhouette is flattering to all body types. I think it makes me look like a tree trunk. That's just, <laughs> um, but, <laughs> just personal opinion. Um, and I have a friend of mine and we go round and round and round about this particular topic. For some reason, we just choose fun things to fight about. But, um, <laughs> but with when it came to uh, Victorian, Victorian was about the wasp waist because Victorian was all inspired by Queen Victoria herself. And right. Queen Victoria was freaking pocket sized. Okay. The woman was like, like itty bitty, bitty, bitty. I mean, she was tiny short. And until she started having lots and lots and lots of babies, um, she was extremely petite. And so it was all about trying to mimic. Um, and so you have Queen Victoria. So she's this like beloved icon in so many ways for the people of the time and then she actually managed to love her husband which was huge i mean talk about earth shattering when you're talking about a royal a royal marriage that is clearly a love match when victoria married albert it was that that's why what we still wear white wedding gowns white wedding gowns were not a thing until queen victoria wore a white wedding gown i actually did not know that they were not a thing. We white wedding gowns were not a like white was not a thing of was not was not a wedding picture of purity until you had Queen Victoria. And so she actually like I'm not saying that the woman was like perfect. She had some really really backwards ideas on feminism. But um, as far as being a cultural icon mm. who really set the stage and really shaped the world around her in her own country, and then that trickled out to other areas, um, she she did a lot to shape fashion and so people wanted to be busty and wasp waisted and suddenly having curves and having full skirts and having all of this came back into mode and because you've had variations of those things throughout history you know but when you came to victorians it was all about um making sure that you had an hourglass silhouette and so looking at from a cover and of course like i said i have no control over covers right really. and so it could be a zoom in kind of thing like what they're doing right now with um like the the duke do it better cover is very zoomed in it has more of a modern font it's um inspired that kind of marketing cover style is inspired by the reboot uh repackaging that they did of bridgerton right right so, right because marketing is a thing um <clears throat> But I don't know if my cover would have that zoomed in kind of thing. And therefore, well, it's a dress we really can't tell. Or if it's going to be more of the, the, the a clench cover where you get the full silhouette. In which right. case, it's very obvious that, oh, this is taking place in, you know, 1856. And she's right. wearing a gown from 1814. And it's very, 
And for those of us that are like fashion nerds, <laughs> I knew it would bug me. Uh, Even though I understand the marketing behind it, I knew it would bug me. And I thought, you know what? Maybe it's like, maybe it's just me me choosing my battles. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, I know that that would bug me eventually if I wrote a Victorian series and went through all of the research to make sure that all of my 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 information on London was updated to Victorian times instead of mm -hmm. Regency. And then to look at my book and it looks like every other Regency, I, I knew that it would bug me. And so oh, I yeah. decided to, well, since these were going, this is going to be a family bookshop anyway. Um, therefore, because you're surrounded by family uh, and you're, you know, her uncle is the one that, um, that owns the shop. And so, so in theory, she always has her uncle's supervision. And, um, and so, but even then working class women were not as, as strictly supervised as women in the, um, that were from noble families. So it's actually really, really fun to okay. switch to this idea of women that had the freedom to, um, to live a little bit, a little, like, like they can breathe. Right. Granted, they're having to work for their bread. Right. They don't have the privileges. And yet at the same time, they have more freedom. It's really, really a fun dynamic to, to toss around. Well, here's a question, because I don't read many historicals. Is it is it unusual to have a working class woman in, an, in a Regency romance? Are they yeah. all sort of like, you know, descended from royalty or, you know, because we have dukes and we have all duchesses and <laughs> duchy or like whatever. And yeah. so is it unusual to have working class women? Uh, having working class main characters is not very common in okay. historicals. It's really not. Um, if they're working class, it's usually, well, she's from a good family, but her father lost everything to gambling debts. And so now she's a governess or now she's, you know, whatever. But actually be like, no, this woman has absolutely no connection whatsoever to the nobility. None. Uh, why do you think that is? <clears throat> it's the escapism. It's the same reason we have a billion dukes out there. Okay. You know, or the billionaire it's, it's, and contemporary. Right? Yeah, or, yeah, or the billionaire and contemporaries. Um, you're, when you're talking about how many dukes and how many nobles there actually were, I mean, you can count the dukes on your hands, on your fingers. You know, you don't have to, like, resort to bringing in toes into the situation to count them. It just, it's, <laughs> and yet we have a billion of them in, in, in romance. Because it is. It's the, it's the escapism of it. It's the, the fun of it, the fantasy of it. Um, and you have to admit that, you know, if you have... If, if, if you're going to go and write a book you and you people are going to be reading it for the pure fun and relaxation and kind of, you know, take me away, Calgon kind of element, right? then um, you don't necessarily want to have a book about people who are living a life of struggle. And um, unless at the end of that book, they're no longer living a life of struggle. <laughs> right, right. So, which is why, you know, having having people who are at least financially stable in um in in contemporary even if they're not dealing even if you're not dealing with billionaires or millionaires one of them is at least financially stable right like right no one is like if they're both start off homeless in the beginning they're not going to be homeless in the end because there's something about our the way our brains work that we want financial stability in order to feel safe and so are we want our characters to be safe and we want therefore in our brain they need it needs to feel safe to the reader to be able to close that book and be like, all right, they're happy forever. We're good. 
Right. Right. So and I part of that is definitely that sort of financial stability. I never really thought about it like that, but now that I'm sort of thinking back and I'm like, yeah, like where we, where we end up, either my characters have, they're fine financially. Like that's not the issue throughout the book. Or if it is, you know, it's, it's sort of sorted out. So they're able to, you know, have their happily ever after. Cause it's not like happily ever after parenthetical, However, she still owns $40,000 to the mob. You know? <laughs> like, no, that's not happening. <laughs> I have a collection. I have a collection of um, funny magnets on my fridge. And, um, and I know that all of the home decorating shows and everything, they say to take the magnets off of your refrigerator so it looks clean and elegant. No, screw that noise. I like to smile. And so I have a collection of funny, snarky magnets on my fridge. And one of them says, and they lived happily ever after. And then they went to work. (laughs) (laughs) So true. But, you know, isn't that sort of honest, like, you know, you you sort of look at like, what's the number one thing that breaks up marriages? And it's actually finances. It's money. It's, it's that, that financial strain is enormous, you know, and the, and, and the, and the pressure of, you know, do I have enough money to cover, you know, cover the rent this month or, you know, cover this or cover that. And then, you know, add the kids into the mix. So like, you know, I completely get it. I do not, I need that happily ever after of like, everybody is financially secure, yeah you know? So, so I hadn't really thought about the idea of, of this is why we have, this is why they're Dukes, right? <laughs> their dukes if things get really hard they can just go and you know nudge their cousin the king and be like hey dude (laughs) kick a little cash over this way i'm a little light this month yeah 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 Yeah. um so it's so funny because you like talk about you know this was sort of your your bow to the marketing gods and i think it's hilarious because one of the things i wanted to talk to you about in our you know bethany bennett part was um you got on TikTok. Oh, I did. I oh did. no. <laughs> okay. So what brought you there? <laughs> I know. I saw, okay, I have never felt more old than when I am on TikTok. Can right? I just say that? Right? Like you think you're cool until you do something like that and then you're like never mind I'm, an, I'm, an, I, I'm a bigger dork than I, I I admit I am a nerd I admit that I am a dork at times but I'm also like I'm a cool mom right you know like my daughter assures me that but no 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 no. once I'm on TikTok I'm like ah oh, crap man I just <laughs> and, and so I was I was explaining I was explaining it to you know because marketing okay it's marketing it's marketing gods it's the, it, this is uh right now TikTok is selling books and um, it would be super great if we could check back in like five years and see if TikTok is still selling books because if not, I'm, I'm gone. Um, but <laughs> there is a certain level of like, yes, connecting with your community. But honestly, I find that like commenting back and forth on someone's videos isn't necessarily making the connection that really lasts. And so yeah. they talk about like you're doing it to build your community and to connect with your community. But I have far more... Uh, success as far as that goes, feeling like I'm actually connecting with someone with a like mind, with a, with a reader, with, you know, whatever um, on Instagram. I mean, I, I still yeah. love my Instagram. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm old. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm old. Well, I um, remember when Instagram was for the kids. Right. All the olds and, were on Facebook. But now I'm, I, I was, I was, my, my publicist was laughing at me because I was like, okay, like, I, I don't really want to get on TikTok. And she's like, okay, why don't you really want to get on TikTok? I'm like, well, 
I don't dance. I'm going to feel like a dumbass if I'm lip syncing things and I'm not built like a thirst trap. I mean, like, what the hell am I going to do on TikTok? (laughs) (laughs) To which her reaction was. (laughs) She was like, just talk about things that you like. I'm like, okay, fine. (laughs) See, it's so funny because when I get told something like that, just talk, I'm like, I kind of sit there and I think for a minute, I'm like, well, I don't like anything, which is like a lie. You know what I mean? But like when you're put on the spot like that, it's kind of like, well, I just don't like anything. I've got nothing to talk about. Well, if you look at my first TikTok, um, I'm drinking and stress baking. I did see that. I actually really liked that one. <laughs> that was my first TikTok I ever made. And like, you know, like we talked in, in the first episode that we did together, we talked about how when I was, you know, like the fear of writing and all of that, like I had to have the year of fuck it where I decided, right. screw it. I'm just, I'm done. Like, I'm not, I'm done worrying about what other people are going to think. I'm done worrying about what, you know, I'm done letting the fear hold me back from doing what I want to do, which is right. And so that was kind of the same sort of thing. I'd had a really, really just horrible day. And, um, I laid in bed and my husband's like, your brain's not turning off, is it? I'm like, no, I'm going to go make cookies. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Remind me after we have the TikTok conversation that we need to talk about how awesome your husband is. Um, but we're going to bat, but we're talking about TikTok. I'm just, you know, put a pin in that one. But um, okay. So go back. So, okay. So you got up and you went baking. Yeah. So I did. I just went out and I, I, I poured myself a drink and um, I made myself a Moscow mule. Um, heavy yes. on the Moscow. And, uh, I just, I whipped up my favorite, favorite cookies that I actually haven't made them in forever. Um, cause they have coconut in them and my husband's actually allergic to coconut. And so I feel like it's really mean to make something that like, yeah. people in your home are allergic to. But you were um, in such a mood. You were like making the fun I, with I was, coconut. I was like, I, was like I, I need my, I need my coconut butter, butterscotch cookies. That's just all there is to it. Thank you very much that we're doing this. And so, um, I did and I figured I would like, well, you know what? <laughs> they're saying that I need to be on TikTok anyway. They're saying that like, just be who you are. I'm like, well, tipsy baking in the middle of the night because you've had a shit day is who I am. So here we are. (laughs) (laughs) It's me, TikTok. Well, it was wonderful. I actually really liked it. It was like a really fun TikTok. I was like, look, she's dress baking. Isn't that great? (laughs) And the fact that it correlated, it correlated with, you know, the fact that my, you know, my, I've missed dress baking heroin and in, in this last book and I was like okay it works we can even twist it and make it sound like it's marketing but it's really not it's just me being like fine you want to be on a TikTok pour myself a very large drink and let's do this <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so you broke your cherry with the stress baking and the drinking have you like have you been po- and I know you were doing like a, a, a kind of like a conversation series like I'm trying to remember what it was exactly yeah, where you were like, um, ask me anything and ask me an AMA that's what it was yeah. How did that go? Actually, it went really well. Um, I did. I, I, there's, because again, my safe space is Instagram. So I went up on, on my, my story on Instagram and said, you know, ask me anything about Dukes Do It Better. And, you know, you can make a little chat window and then they will just directly message you. And so um, I, so people were messaging me questions and I would just go and shoot a real quick video of like answering it and, um, and keeping it keeping it very simple. I mean, like you look at some of the TikToks that are out there and these people are like, they've got editing skills, man. They've got I know. skills. They have layers of images and all of this. I'm like, no, I, I, I really do keep it pretty simple. Um, I'm just, I'm there talking. I make sure that I have captions generated because right. um, as someone who, I like to multitask. And so sometimes I'll be in, I'll be in public and I'll be you know, watching something, not like watching a reel or watching whatever on my phone. Yeah, I'm the if, same. 
but I can't have the audio on. Yeah, same thing. So I want to make sure that there are captions there, not just for accessibility, but just for people like me who don't want to listen to your story in the middle of like Walmart, you know, like (laughs) standing here waiting in line because they never have enough checkers. And I'm just like scrolling on Instagram. I want to be able to read the funny. I don't need to hear the funny. So, yeah. So I just keep it very, very simple. Keep it very simple. Okay, cool. So are you, no, I, I honestly, I'm, I haven't logged in because I'm like, very I I have such a difficult time with TikTok and I want to do it I want to do it but like you my safe space is Instagram I like it there um but I do know like reels is a thing and a lot of like my the people that I follow on Instagram now aren't doing posts they're doing reels like I go to their pages and it's just video 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 yeah and I'm like fuck you know so I I feel like I should be doing video now even for Instagram so if I'm doing video might as well do it on TikTok but I don't know like there's such a block there for me where I'm just I don't I can't do it like I'm just I'm like confronted with a video camera I can do this podcast but like the minute you put the video on I'm like I'm like a stone I just freeze yes it's weird Uh, well I'm like that like if you if you um if you put a a camera on me and you expect me to be acting I'm I'm that way I I I just I'm, I'm not an actress I'm not Um, and so what I actually ended up doing was when I would ask those questions, like I would actually do a couple where it was just me getting comfortable and I knew that it was just going to be garbage and thrown away. Right. Um, in order for it to feel conversational when I actually went and answered the question and did it for the AMA videos. And so now, now that, okay, well, the book is released and, um, now I have to somehow still come up with things to share. And so right now there's puppy content. Like puppies. What yes. You know, <laughs> puppy content. And I, I really do need to have, you know, like get video or pictures of my super pissed off cats because they are like not down with this whole puppy thing. Oh, um, no. They're angry oh, no. at me. But they're oh, no. adapting. They're coming around. They're All coming right. around. But right. it, it's a process. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a process. They certainly are not welcoming the family edition with open arms. But. Well, you know, cats. I'm, cats. Cats. You know, cats. cats. <laughs> <laughs> but I know the puppy has been keeping you up. Oh, yes. Goodness, yes. The little he's, dude. He's a baby, so. I know. But they're know. so cute, right? They're so cute. Super, and you're just like, cute. it's okay. I remember when mine couldn't hold it. And I'd have to get up in the middle of the night all the time. And now I'm just like, you're old. And they just, all they do is sleep. <laughs> I'm looking forward so to like can we do like another month so that physically he's developed enough to be able to hold it all night and he's able to be house trained and then I just don't have to worry as much you know yes like, right now I'm in this constant state of vigilance where it's like I don't want to deal with poop in my house please please yeah please yeah. so I'm like watching him like a hawk and Stressing out about it, and I have never been so obsessed over like whether another creature's butthole is puckering before. I mean, it's just unreal. Puppies, man. I see that. I see that pucker. We're going outside. I know you're constantly looking at their (laughs) ass. Like you're just. I mean, it's like wow. (laughs) Because puppies. Never thought about butt play so much. <laughs> I know, but right? Here we are. Yeah. 
So, I mean, okay, so not to kind of bring up, you know, not to sort of like go back to the conversation that we had um, a year ago about, you know, your background and stuff like that. Again, Bearing Bodies with Bethany Bennett, highly recommend. I will link to it in the show notes. Um, But, you know, just for a word of background, and we touched upon this in the last episode, you come from a hyper-religious family, hyper-religious background. You write these steamy books. Um, I know that when you started, you weren't writing steam. Um, and then during your year, fuck it, you said, fuck it. And you were writing all the naughty stuff. And, but I wanted to kind of like go a little bit deeper beyond the year of fuck it and sort of talk more about it was the year of fuck it, but there still had to have been the struggle, the difficulty to actually put the words on paper, um, especially coming from that environment. I knew we had been talking before I hit record that, you know, I come from a background where my mom was schizophrenic, so there's a lot of religious ideation there. And so I was raised in this sort of like, even though she wasn't a hyper-conservative per- person, she this was like the area where she was hyper-conservative. And so it, talking to her about sex, having those conversations with her, impossible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so so actually having to sort of write open door it still is is tough for me because it's like I have my mom sitting on my shoulder sometimes <laughs> being like, mm, what are you doing? What yeah. are you doing? What are you doing? You know, and and so I and so I'm just kind of I, I want to sort of like, you know, talk to you about that is 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 when you do struggle with that. Like, how did you overcome that and become comfortable with it? Um, I think that, you know there are layers that you have to take off when you're unlearning some of those things. Um, those layers of shame, it's not just one layer of shame. It's not just one layer of guilt. It's not just one layer of, Oh, well, you know, you're a bad girl if you do this and not like the fun, bad girl way, but like the legit, you know, hang your head in shame and go think about what you've done and no one's Mm -hmm. ever going to want you type bad girl. And, um, and there are layers there and, it's not just a one and done kind of situation, you know? Right. I mean, like, hell, last night, uh, an older gentleman that um, I knew back in my bookstore owning days um, accidentally called me. <laughs> I had been in his phone for, because we had a business arrangement um, a few years back. And um, and I he was trying to get a hold of his, of his daughter, and, he, and he, he dialed me instead. And he's like, oh, well, well, how are you? What are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm a best-selling romance novelist now, you know? <laughs> and... <laughs> Well, hello. And, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yay! Good. I'm doing really great, you know? And because, um, you know, he knew me back in my single mom days. Like, you know, mm. my son didn't exist. My, you know, I wasn't married to my fantastic husband. I wasn't like, you know, it was a very different life. And um, and it was exciting and wonderful to be like, no, like, really good. I'm really good. Um, and then he, and then he's like, well, what was your, you know, what, 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 what name do you write under? I'd love to look up one of your books. And my, my gut went down to my toes. Really? And I was like, okay, I write historical romance. It is open door. It's sexy. There's sex on the page. If you want to write, read it, I write as Bethany Bennett. And that's great if you want to read it, but don't feel like you need to, because I want you to know what you're getting into. Like, you know, 
I'm trying, but I suddenly I felt gripped by that. Like, Oh crap. You know, cause this is an older gentleman. He's a conservative gentleman and okay. you know, and, and, and this mental image of him going out and buying my books. Like, <laughs> oh, yay. Sweet little Bethany that I knew all those years ago. And then he's like, she did what? what now? You know, like Sweet I was little just chased like, Bethany. <laughs> oh crap. What have I done? And so there are layers and you still bump into it. You still bump into those walls and you still bump into those. And I think it's a matter of when you do peel back that first layer, that's the first step, right? Right. right. That, but then acknowledging and being aware enough in yourself, in your body, in your feelings, in, you know, tension, in, um, you know, uh, physical responses that you have to that when you run into those, those barriers, um, and acknowledging, and instead of backing away and letting that barrier stand, choosing how you're going to deal with it. So in this mm-hmm. case, I was like, oh, oh, wow. The idea of him going and reading my book and th- what is he going to think? And what's he going to, and it, it started, man, that spiral started. You went to that rabbit hole. and I totally yeah. did. And, um, but in the moment now I, you know, because I'm several years past the year of fucking, thank God. Um, you know, the, my response to that was not like, no, please don't. Or whatever. It was like, okay, you can do that. Just understand that this is what I write. Okay. Okay. Apologetic. It's okay. this is what I write. And, and in the past, I've even told people, if you'd like to talk about why I've made that decision to write that way, I'm happy to go there too. Um, because sure, I'll go ahead and tell them, you know, how completely messed up, messed up it is that we, you know, that we, just go back and listen to the first episode (laughs) (laughs) Bethany has a puppy and is sleep deprived so we're not going there (laughs) we're not going there we're not going to rant today but yeah (laughs) it's really easy it's really easy to fall into those that training because you're talking about unraveling years years and years and years of someone telling you what is okay and what's not okay how you should talk, how you should think, what you should be watching, what you should be reading, how you should be dressing. And all of it is wrapped around what's everyone else going to think about you by mm-hmm. how you're presenting yourself to the world. Right. You know, right. I mean, I remember like getting dressed to go to school formals and stuff. You know, I wasn't allowed to wear a strapless dress. I wasn't allowed to wear an off the shoulder dress. Um, and one of the main things that I was told was because I was advertising what are you advertising? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not a fucking product. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. I remember being told that you don't want to, you, you don't want to be advertising exactly advertising. What? Yeah. Like you're open for business. Like me, like, so like somehow that if you show your shoulders that you're a slut, that you're like, I don't understand the correlation when you actually apply logic to it, it totally breaks down. And yet this is something that we're so often are told, um, you know, yes, in religious circumstances, but also just society in general. You know? Yeah, I think I, I think I think I think we're still being told that to a degree in society, which is super frustrating. And out even outside of like conservative and religious circles, like I still think that this is sort of part of the conversation. I know when I hear somebody call or like I read in a book like slut, oh well, she's a slut. Like even if it's like the person that we're supposed to not like, you know, who's like throwing a wrench in the works, right? And then to have that, to hear that, like, that makes me, like, I'm just like, you know, I've used it once in a book and it was very specific. There was a very specific reason why I used it. But to throw that word out just, 
it just made like like something inside me dies a little yeah yeah we have to be really careful with it and honestly the fact that that's something that i think that we um as as romance writers you know we we are we are becoming more and more aware of um and because and i and i think that that's also because romance writers in in so many ways the romance genre does reflect the current environment it does reflect current society it reflects um the you know what is going on in the world around us and so i think that our language that we use especially to describe other women is a huge factor and that it has a huge impact and so when you're when you're writing sex on the page and when you're writing sexy times and you're coming from a situation in a background where you have been repressed in a lot of ways um I think that it, it becomes a choice every time it becomes a choice, how you're going to style this and how, what kind of wording you're going to use, how far you're going to go. Are you going to be focusing on, and then you have to go into story structure. Like if you're, if you are maybe emotionally uncomfortable in the moment because you are running into those old, um, uh, training mechanisms in you, right? Those old, those old learned behaviors. Um, sometimes it helps me to say, okay, in the moment with these two characters, where they're at in their relationship, is this about emotional connection? Is this about physical connection? Or is this about, um, a, a something else, right? Is this about Mm -hmm. something else? Like, um, uh, in the, the beginning of Dukes Do It Better, uh, the hero and heroine have actually already had a one night stand. And that happens off page. And I've gotten some pushback from readers for having that off page. But um, one of the things I was talking about with uh, Liz Donatelli on Reader Seeks Romance, um, the YouTube show, she, uh, she was talking about that. And I was like, what it really comes down to is that at the time for Emma, the heroine, that one night stand was not about Malachi. Mm. It wasn't about him. It was about her. It was about her being a single mom and living essentially in hiding, hiding who she was, repressing who she was, pulling back on all of her natural instincts and natural inclinations. And she's trying to kind of like remake who she is. And that means for her, like cutting off all of these destructive behaviors that have really, really like wrecked the world around her. And one of them was you know, being, uh, was enjoying sex, which when you're talking about a woman during the Regency, bad news, right? Like she wasn't married. Um, and she got pregnant out of wedlock. And so for her, when she was like, like she's hiding away with her kid, she's just focusing on being a good mom. She's focusing on being a good person. She's focusing on remaking her reality. Right. Right. And she allowed herself one night off. She just went to the local assembly room. She was just going to go dance. She was just going to go and like, just not be a mom for a night, not be so, you know, just go and like maybe recapture a little bit of who she was. And, um, she sees him and it, they end up, they end up sleeping together. They end up spending the night together. And so that, (laughs) that encounter, when I'm sitting down and writing it, if I was just to actually write out that encounter, it's not about them connecting physically. It's not about them connecting emotionally. It was about an emotional change in her. Right. Not them. Right. And so sometimes I think when we run into those blockades and those barriers of that learned, those ingrained um, toxicities that we have, that we have been taught 
Um, I think sometimes to take a step back and be like, well, right now, does it need to be about banging? I mean, is this about tab A, slot B, let's get dirty, right? right. Or is this about an emotional change where they're connecting on an intimate emotional level, in which mm-hmm. case you, there's, you, can, you can have a really hot sex scene that like actually doesn't really talk about body parts. Right. right. It's right. talking about sensation. It's talking about, right. it's talking about the, the reaction of what this person is doing to this other person and how mm. that makes them feel right. It can be, mm. it can be a really, really hot, sexy scene. That's an open door scene that actually like doesn't use the word cock, doesn't use the word like whatever, like there's ways to do it. And I think sometimes when we're running into those, um, those, resist- those resistances in us because of using the language, right. I think that maybe, um, hiding behind the structure of the story is a good way to get around it, at least until you've identified that, yeah, okay, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Why am I feeling uncomfortable? And having that moment of self-awareness, but you can still work through it on the page by saying, does this need to be about banging? <laughs> or is this about like emotional connection? Right. Or is this about like, like, why are they here? Right. And maybe hiding behind a story structure until you've worked out your own shit is probably. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's really like really fascinating. I mean, I would sort of argue that there is always some sort of emotional connection, even when you're going for the banging, right? Like it's because there is, um, like just neurologically speaking, hormonally speaking, what's getting released, what, you know, what, what is like sort of physically happening during the act kind of makes it impossible to be completely like, you know, to have, to have like, even if you're having a one night stand, it almost makes it very difficult to have a one night stand and not have some sort of emotional connection there. Um, So, but I think that that's actually like a really good point of like, just, you know, work it, work through the, the story structure Rather than necessarily like being like, well, oh shit, what, do, what like, oh my god, I'm writing about sex. Oh my god, I'm writing sex. Oh my god. Well, yeah. What do you want the reader to take away from that? Yeah. Because that's, I think, that's something that maybe the reading experience is very is vastly different from the writing experience, right? We put all these different like layers of things down, and then mm-hmm. the reading experience, you want it to be far less complex and you know, time staking for them to be just going through and enjoying the scene. So what do you want them to take out of it? Right. Do you want, do you want this to be an erotic scene that's about physicality or do you want this to be a deeply emotional moving scene that is about something else, you know, and, uh, and kind of like directing the way that we write it to, to that outcome. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I, it is, it's, it's, it's funny. There's a, there's so many different ways to approach it. Um, but I know that for me, figuring out what it is about the moment in the book or the moment in my life that mm-hmm. is making me uncomfortable, um, I think really does help right. because so much of this is about pulling back layers yeah. and so much of it is about deconstructing those old, um, toxic lessons that, um, it's not just a rip off a bandaid and boom, you're healed, you know? Yeah, and it doesn't just sort of like, well, I wrote one, right? Like, oh, I can do- <laughs> I've done this before. It's fine. I've done, I've done it before. I can do it again. Like, because sometimes you, you can't. Like, you sometimes you really do, like, sort of get a sticking point where you're just like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. You know? Yeah. 
I mean, I think two language, um, I think that's a good point where you can write a scene and not use the word cock, you know, um, you, you totally can. And just sort of like writing through the emotions and the feelings and, and that sort of writing through that intimacy, absolutely possible. Um, but I know that one of the things that I sort of, when I was teaching the workshop was sort of talking to, talking through was actually though de-shamifying those words yes. and saying them. You know, and so by saying them and writing them over and over again, like we can de-shamify the words and we can make the words a little bit more comfortable, you know, so it's, you know, I mean, there are some words some people are never going to be comfortable with, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like you're just not, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, it's just a word like moist is not my favorite word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you you think about it too, like that I'm coming I'm coming from this from the perspective of someone who is dealing with their own personal stuff, and then how that applies to me, then putting this on the page. Right. So um, I do think that yes, absolutely, making sure that um, that repetition helps. It does. I mean, even though yeah, that you know, we joke about like, oh, I've done it before, and and, and that's true, and but and and it's funny, but at the same time, it's also true, you know, where. Um, Maybe also working through and saying like, okay, I'm just going to write a hot scene and I'm going to make it as filthy and erotic as possible. And it doesn't actually have to be part of the story. It's just going to be like a one-off and I'm going to, it's going to be one scene and like challenge yourself Yeah. and face down the fear and challenge yourself and be like, how gritty can we get? Yeah. And no one ever has to read it. No mm. one ever has to see that. But I think that it, that, that it goes a long way towards um, uh, de-shaming those words and that content too. Yeah. So that when it is actually time to build your characters and build your story and tell your story, um, you can come at it from a, a place that's far more easy to work from. Absolutely. And I think sort of like the important thing to note too is like it can totally be like porn. Like you don't like it doesn't have to be good porn. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, if you're doing that writing exercise, the goal is not to make it good. No, that is not the goal. Just make it dirty. Like the goal is to is is to make yourself uncomfortable until yeah. it's no longer uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And do, yeah, and it does not so it does not I want to stress that it does not have to be good. No, and it you doesn't can even use, have to be grammatically correct. Use no. Fine. <laughs> and you can write cliche after cliche, Absolutely. like just do like, but just get those words down. I think that that does really help for sure. I mean, you know, um, I mean, you'll st like you said though, you're still gonna sort of like sometimes get smacked with something in the face, and you're just gonna be like, oh crap, here we are yeah. again. Yeah, every now and then. Every yeah. now and then. You know? Yeah. It is. And it's funny. And the, sometimes you can see it coming and sometimes you can't. And then it's a matter of having worked through it in a conscientious manner so that when you do get smacked in the face with something, you have an arsenal of tools in your tool belt mm -hmm. to be able to work with. Yeah. You know, because um, you think about like when you first started addressing those old things like, you know, the, the shame and the only good girls do this, only bad girls do that, or you're, you know, you're a slut, you're whatever for this, right? These, these lies that we've been told and either by specific people or by society in general. Um, the first time it happens, it just knocks you for a loop. Mm. It just absolutely knocks you. And you don't have any defenses against it. And you don't have, I mean, all you have is this like little kernel inside of you. That's like, no, maybe they're wrong. <laughs> 
I feel like they're wrong, but yeah, exactly. I feel like they're wrong, but I don't actually have proof. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this doesn't feel right. Right? But yeah. And so, so I think that maybe being like actually building up those toolboxes, like whether it is giving yourself a one-off scene where you're like, I'm going to see how, how bad can it get, you know? Right. <laughs> and like push your own envelope until you're like, until it becomes a game. Because that's the de-shaming of it, right? right when you're right. no longer scared of it and when you're no longer, you know, and, but like starting to build up and be aware of how does your body feel? How does your mind feel? Are you tired afterwards? Are you energized afterwards? Do you feel like you've just gone like, you know, several rounds in the ring and man, you're ready? Or do you feel like you need to go get a drink? I mean, like, like, well, how does your body feel? How does your mind feel? Um, and being so that you're consciously building up those things that actually work for you. And for your particular traumas that you're unraveling. And then um, that way, when you do get hit out of nowhere, you're, you're not reeling. And it's mm. not just that little tiny voice that's like, I don't think you're right. But you actually do have an idea of what works for you to get past this feeling, to get past this emotional hit. Right. So that you can fight back effectively. And so that you can reclaim your own power and your own um you know, body awareness and your ability to write and your ability to create and your ability to take up space as much damn space as you choose as a woman and allow yourself to be a sexual creature without shame yep. and allow yourself to be a fully formed human being who has needs and wants and desires and opinions and doesn't need someone else's input to form right. them. Right. That's yeah, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, sort of thinking about, you know, the emotional part of things and sort of what trips me up as I'm writing the intimate moments. And I know I write a lot of, I don't know, I mean, I guess for lack of a better word, emotionally unavailable women, um, which is sort of fun. Um, <laughs> who kind of, you know, they're the ones kind of like going, no, 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 I'm not getting involved. Like, no, 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 yeah. no. You know, like they're, they don't want the relationship. They don't want to fall in love. And it's the men that are sort of pushing for that. And, and so it's really interesting because I, I write first person point of view and I, and I only write so far in my female main character point of view. And so when I get to that intimate moment, it's like I'm sort of sitting with them and I'm fighting it from like my own personal whatever is right. And they're fighting it because they're like, I don't want to get involved. You know, like, like, <laughs> so it's, so, you know, so I'm sort of battling with them. Like you need to let it go. I'm battling with myself. You need to let it go. You know? So it's like, it's sort of, you know, I'm like, no. And you know, and I write first thing in the morning. So like, you know, I guess I could day drink, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's a, the healthiest thing that I can do after I write these I mean, things. Five o'clock somewhere could mean AM. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> and I usually have to like go do my day job after. So maybe I shouldn't show up drunk. But, um, but yeah, like it's really kind of, you know, it's really kind of wild kind of being in the, in the headspace of your characters. But then you also, as the author, like there is always like a bit of you that's being woven into the works that you're writing. Yes. Very much so. You know. Very much so. I mean, anyone who thinks that writing is not cathartic for the writer is is not connected to reality. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that we work through on the page. Absolutely. Um, and sometimes it's conscious, and sometimes it's not. 
Um, I recently had to go back and, and um, annotate a copy of my first book. And it was oh. really kind of funny going through and annotating copies of Any Rogue Will Do and be like, huh, so that's in there. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote that. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> A little lacking in self-awareness in that moment, weren't we, Bethany? Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, my God. That's super fun. What did you do the annotation for? Uh, there was a um, – the Romancing the Runoff, Romancing the Vote uh, on Twitter is uh, a big – they do fundraisers for um, for uh, for political uh, democracy things. And so – Last year, um, or rather, you know, during the election year, we, we there was a big thing that we, we were we were raising funds for Stacey Abrams. Um, this last one was for uh, raising funds to fight back against um, voter suppression bills. Oh, and excellent. so um, so it's romancing the vote or romancing the runoff, <laughs> depending on you know which uh, which event we're doing. But this one was for um, was was for you know maintaining um, voters' rights. And it was back in February, and it's Romance Landia comes together and raises a tremendous, a tremendous amount of money through um, auctioning off items or services or events or whatever. And um, and I donated a bunch of little heroin themed perfumes that I'd made. Right, um, your perfume. Yeah, they were yes. so much fun. Oh my gosh, they were so much fun. Um, and so I I did that, and then I also did. Um, annotated copies of like they could choose any of the books and at the time there were only two in print um and they and it was funny i had two of them and both of them chose any rogue will do and so um so yeah i was going through and annotating a copy of lottie and ethan's story and it is funny things that are in there really that is super fun that's super super fun had you reread? I'm, I'm kind of curious. I'm guessing you hadn't reread since you published. No, I hadn't. I hadn't, and it was a little bit weird at first. Um, I was battling, um, I was battling my ADHD brain. That's like, excuse me, we know how this ends. Like, this is boring because my ADHD brain is like, we know how this ends. Um, oh. But, <laughs> because I literally wrote the book. Um, but then. <laughs> So that was a factor to play with because neurodivergence is fun. Um, and, you know, neurodiversity makes the world go round. So, uh, yeah, we have, uh, so there was, there was, there was that element, but it was funny because once I got into it, it was, it was, it was kind of neat. Like every now and then yeah. there'd be a turn of phrase and I'm like, oh, that's really beautiful. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I wrote that. Oh, that's yeah. Weird. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, look at that. I guess I actually can do this thing. Yeah, it's really wild. Like part of me, like I'll go back and read. I don't, I haven't read like the whole thing through, but I've read little bits and I'm like, oh, that's not half bad. It's really not half bad. It's yeah. really not half bad. Look at I me. I kind of like remember the struggle. Right? Yeah, yeah. I Although I still see plenty where I'm like, oh my God, too many dialogue tags. I'm working on it. You know? <laughs> or there's a scene that you're like, why did I put that in there? Yeah, does like, that really need to be there? I don't know. Yeah, you kind of want to go back and re-edit it, but yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And part of me, I mean, and I can, like, that's the thing. Like, I could, but then I'm kind of like, ah. I, I'm also very much a forward-looking person. Like, I just yeah. want to leave what's in the past, in the past, and forward well, what's kind of I think what's kind of neat is, like, as a reader, being able to go through and go through an author's backlist and kind of read their growth as they read, oh. I think is a real treat as a reader. Oh, and, you okay. know, so you can kind of look at those, like the first earlier ones and be like, they're going to have the opportunity to see me grow in my craft. 
That's a good way to look at it. I'm not sure they're thinking that, but I love that idea. (laughs) I wonder if they're just looking at it being like, this bitch can't write. Like that. (laughs) They'll come back in 10 years and 10 books and they'll be like, oh, wow, isn't it neat to see how she's developed such and such throughout the years? And you're like, yeah. That would be awesome. <laughs> if nothing else, just having the disclaimer to all readers, like, like, hi, just remember, we are human, you know. <laughs> so I want to get to from uh, to the excerpt from uh, Duke Stewart better because I have a lot to read. Okay, I'm sorry. It is a it is a whole thing. That no, no, no. It's not that it's a whole thing. It's actually in terms of word count, I've gotten way longer. It's just <laughs> that it was so good. Like, I just was like, I could read the whole thing. Like, it is so good. Like, the scene that you sent me is amazing. Thank you. Um, But before, like, you write the most exquisite steamy scenes. Like, I think hands down, like, the most exquisite. They're gorgeous. Thank you. But before we start, I want to talk a little bit about Roger. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like anytime you're on this episode, last one, it was the French tickler. I learned it was a thing. Um, (laughs) Now I'm learning that in the Regency times, they did have dildos and they were made of wood. Uh, They they were made of wood, um, metal, stone. Honestly, dildos have been around for as long as people have been wanting to put things into orifices and didn't have a penis handy. I mean, really, it's just, you know, they, they would use anything. I mean, cause people are people even right. people 5,000 years ago, they were still people. And so, um, yeah, the dildos are a thing and they were called dildos. That's one of the things too. Some people, I was wondering, I was wondering, it's an archaic term. I was also wondering, is that where the term for hard on wood came from? You know, that's an excellent question. I wonder. Oh. I wonder if there's some some etymology. Like I am wondering if that like I was kind of like, oh, I wonder if that's where it came from. I also was like, this seems like a really bad idea. <laughs> well, you think about the highly, highly polished wood and that's been sealed with wax and that's been, you know, so um so it's not necessarily like, you know, we just found a, a stick. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's what I was kind of like in my head. Like I was a little like, this could be really painful and unsanitary. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, it actually, it ties into book two in West End Earl. Uh, that's my girl in pants book. And the way that Ophelia, Fee, uh, managed to pee standing up while she was impersonating her brother for, you know, a decade um, was she had what she made, she whittled a penis. Basically, it's like a Regency version of a shiwi, right? It was a wooden penis with a fluted end on one side and a whole board all the way through. Brilliant. So that, and, and she had, a, she put a, like, sewed a little pocket in. So she always looked like she was, you know, hanging left or dangling right or whatever. And, um, <laughs> and she would be able to whip it out and go pee standing up. Amazing. Um, because they didn't necessarily have this whole concept of like we we think well just go to the bathroom like yeah they, they weren't available. <laughs> I mean, men would go and pee anywhere, okay, and they did. And um, a lot of homes didn't necessarily have a specific, you know, a, a restroom like an actual like bathroom, bathroom. And so um even in uh, at beautiful balls 
public dinners. I mean, like gorgeous, gorgeous, beautiful events with all these people that we think are so refined. There was a, um, a screen in the corner of the dining room with piss pots, chamber pots behind it. And people would just get up and go behind the screen and pee. And yeah, Katie, like, you imagine, like, you know, oh like, my God, like, you're drinking, you know, like you're drinking your wine and you're enjoying your soup course. And Lord so-and-so is like literally taking a piss five feet to your right. He, but then there's just like a screen between you and him. Um, they had retiring rooms as well, but it was totally common to have like just a screened off area in the side of the room and a chamber pot. And so her, so Ophelia being a woman needing to impersonate a man being able to pee standing up was a vital thing. And so she learned how to whittle penises. And so Fee and Emma end up being besties and their stories deep, you know, tightly intertwine um, throughout book two and then rolls into book three. And so when book three rolls around, that's where she got Roger was Fee went ahead and just whittled her. She whittled her a dildo because that that's what girlfriends do. Okay. A girlfriend <laughs> who can whittle <laughs> little penises anyway and you're gonna be living in a cliffside you know cottage for years at a time and have like sworn off men but you still have a sex drive because you're a human you know yeah having having a friend like that is super helpful but um yeah so it's highly polished wood uh, they would make them out of jade they would make them out of oh, wow um they would make them out of all sorts of different types of stone and polished stone and um and yeah they would seal them with wax uh, seal them with the, those wax polishes and everything and so that it was a little bit a little bit more sanitary but even then it's not like if you have a wooden dildo it's not like you're going to be you know using the same wooden dildo for 20 years I mean let's be realistic but um but yeah Roger Roger was Roger has had a surprising number of questions um and reader support like they're all like we love Roger it's, it's <laughs> It's so funny that I'm like the dildo is the is is the most liked character of this entire book. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess for me, like Roger was so unexpected. Like I was just like, oh my god! Like I had no idea they had dildos back then. Look at this. <laughs> um. So, so okay. Like earlier in the book, I mean, you you got a scene, you know, um, which uh, which comes towards you know, towards the end of the book. But earlier in the book, you know, she talks about Roger. I mean, she. She and Roger are buddies, and he's basically what's kept her sane for the last five, six years. So, <laughs> so okay, so set this up for us. So we, you said we're kind of maybe toward the middle end of the book. Um, you're in the last third. Okay, probably actually you're like, you're in the last quarter. Oh wow. Okay. All right. So you are towards the end where they have already been intimate. They already have have a relationship, and you. It's funny you talked about like emotionally unavailable heroines. She's the same sort of thing. She is comfortable with sex. She's comfortable with sex with Malachi. Actually, being being sexy, being a little bit of a vixen, being a bit of a siren in bed, that's her comfort zone. That's where she feels, it's almost like she uses it as a shield. Right. And so she will, she'll be sexy with him. She'll enjoy him in bed. She'll, I mean, she will ride that cowboy, no problem. But um, ask, what? so when the scene, at this point, he has... He has told her that he loves her. She freaked out. He has proposed marriage. She said nothing. Um, she's, he is now in her home. <laughs> On, you know, like four or five days drive away from, um, from London. And so they are now retreated to the cottage. Um, on, you know, on the cliffside. Back in the, in the village where they initially had met. Um, but at this point now, like, 
He's met her family. He's won over her son. He's even won over her housekeeper. She's grappling with the reality of the fact that um, she does have legitimate long-lasting feelings for him, and it's scary. Hmm. And it scares her because she has family trauma that she's dealt with. And she's scared of... um, She's scared of maybe reverting back to the person that she used to be, you know? Right. So she, so she, she, she's kind of put him in this, in this mental box of like, you're sexy. You think I'm sexy. We can totally have fun. We can totally enjoy each other, but not, don't ask for real intimacy. Right. That's the setup for this. Okay. All right. So we are in her point of view and um, just to note, she's by herself with Roger. With a contented sigh, she settled into the pillow. Light from the lantern shone pink through her eyelids, and she cracked one eye open. Blast. She forgot to extinguish it. Oh, well, she'd do it later. There were more pressing demands on her time right then. She smiled and closed her eyes again. In her mind, she let herself drift as one hand caressed the sensitive side of her neck, across her collarbone, then down to the valley between her breasts. Mal had followed that path so many times. The skin warmed at, her, warmed at the memory. A familiar fantasy began to play in her mind like an erotic theater act. The sun was a heated bath on her skin as she lounged under the blue sky, with blades of grass tickling her through a colorful blanket. Her lover smiled wickedly with his pale hazel eyes and, no, not hazel, blue. A blue-eyed lover would do fine, thank you. A blue-eyed lover inched her skirts up her calves and over her knees, moaning in anticipation when the fabric pulled down her thighs and settled at her hips, leaving her most intimate parts open to his gaze. On the bed, Emma raised and spread her knees slightly, while one hand played with a nipple exactly like she did on the imaginary blanket under the summer sky. The man with the blue eyes raised one bisected brow in a smile that sent her pulse racing, then lowered his, leg, his face between her legs. Emma squeezed her eyes tight, as if she could reset the image in her mind. Fine, her brain wanted Mal. Her body wanted Mal. And yes, her heart was leaning in that direction, too. But she wouldn't do anything so silly as walk across the hall and tell him at almost midnight. Light hazel eyes, then. And a scarred brow. And a wicked mouth she knew so well. The scene coalesced, and she sighed, sinking into sensation. A hand stroked lightly over her breast, then pinched a nipple hard enough to send a spike of sensation straight to her her core. The other hand traced the edge of her lower lips, then dipped in, seeking her own heat. A slick greeting welcomed her fingers as she ran a finger up and down the intimate folds the way Mal's tongue had the last time they'd been in bed together. Letting her imagination run wild, rubbing circles around her clitoris and slicking her fingers into her, in her mind, Mal's tongue lapped her up. A breeze from the open window tightened her nipples into tight nubs under the plucking motion of her fingers. A soft moan escaped through her parted lips. Roger nudged at her entrance, and Emma was on the cusp of inserting the length of wood into herself when the door opened. Whew! Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> Cliffhanger! Don't worry, I'm going to keep going. Um, but I want us to say, this, this scene is like everything thing <laughs> oh my god so I'm so focused all right I have a question here I'm so focused on what my character when I'm writing these scenes like I'm so focused on like what my character is doing how they strive how they're striving what they need what they want right move 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 
that I think I forget to like let them take time to have an intimate moment like this. Like just this, this. When yeah. you're, I can't, I can't remember if you're a plotter or a pantser. Like how did, are you? I'm a, I'm a pantser. You are I a pantser. I'm, I'm a pantser um, and I'm, I'm slowly wrapping my head around the idea that I actually need to know where I'm going, but I'm okay with not knowing how to get there. Okay. Yeah. So how come you were like, instead of like bringing them to get, like bring them, give them a scene where he walks into the bedroom before this moment. Like, why was this? Like, I just was like, this is great. Like I would never think about doing this and it's such a great idea. And so I'm kind of curious, like why you decided, like, why, why did this scene need to happen? Um, I think for her, because she has been sort of wrestling with this concept of, you know, like, he's just he's just come in now he's in her world it's not her being in london living in her brother's house allowing him access to her things there and her people there and you know like but now this is her world mm -hmm. and so earlier like she was she was kind of like struggling with the fact that like he's here and there's no running from that and so the fact that he would even then try to um invade her fantasy life where she had to admit that even her fantasy life really does feel better with him in it. Mm. Um, and, but then because these two knuckleheads will go round and round and round and round and round with each other, um, you know, like I, I, he earlier in, um, you know, the scenes that led up to this, he was just like bald faced brave and told her how he felt and just laid it out for her. And she wasn't ready to accept that and um, reciprocate. Okay. And because she's stubborn, goodness, she's stubborn. And so I knew that you he really was going to have to kind of like push her into a corner a little bit, emotionally mm. speaking, for her to grapple with her own stuff and admit that she wanted him there. Admit that she actually did. Uh, care for him as deeply and beyond just sex. And so um, I wanted, you know, and the fact is that it's been established that this is how she takes care of business. This is how she's managed to be alone for, you know, as, as many, um, you know, as many years as she has. Right. And so um, he is kind of like interrupting and almost invading that last most intimate part of her, which is her fantasy life. Mm -hmm. And, um, putting her in a position where now she's just been interrupted. Um, and at that point I thought, well, she can react several different ways. I mean, think about if someone walked in on you masturbating. Okay. There's several different ways that you can handle that situation. Yeah. And I thought that it would be really telling how she handled it and how he handled it. It was, it was. Okay. So I totally, okay. So I have this like bit where, where he walks in highlighted and that was like, oh my God, like this told, tells me everything about her character right there. Like right there. I'm just going to read it. Okay. Uh, Malachi would swear, because now we've gone into his point of view. Malachi would swear his heart stopped from lack of blood in between heartbeats. Every chamber emptied and flooded his cock. Holy hell. Emma was spread on the bed naked with her hand between her legs as if she was waiting for him. Maybe she was. His gaze fell to the wooden phallus by her hip. Fine. Maybe not. <laughs> I heard you pacing and thought you might be still be awake. I, I, I see you are. 
Emma huffed out, of, huffed out a sound that was part laugh, part, part sigh. How do you always find me in odd moments? And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, odd moment indeed. I was like, she's so fucking calm about it. She's just like, <sighs> you again. You again. Yes. And if she's if she's being inappropriate in some way, he's going to pop up. It's just like this reoccurring theme in the book. <laughs> but it's like, it's sort of great, though, because like, it, it goes, it fits with everything that you were tell you talked about her. She always, ha- she is worldly. She's had these experiences. She's gone away. She's, she wants to have this sort of like secluded life. She doesn't want to deal with men anymore. You know, and it sort of makes it sort of makes sense that like, this guy's always popping up, you know, <laughs> you're just kind of like, here he comes again. And like, and she's not embarrassed and she's not ashamed. And she's not like, Oh my God, you just came in and saw me. She's just like you again, really <laughs> like more of an annoyance than anything else. And I was just like, Oh my God, that tells me everything there is to, to, to sort of like to say about who she is as a character. I was like, that's awesome. Yes. Like, that's fucking awesome. And I mean, and you know, I didn't go to where he handles it because he's just like, it's erotic as hell, tempting, disappointed you didn't call me in if I'm honest, you know? And he's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, because again, like, sex is her comfort zone. Right. You know, the two of them are able to connect through sex. But then, you know, later in the scene, he, he's... He, he 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 flips the script on her mm-hmm. you know where she's like fine i'll sit here i'll you know i'll be sexy for you you know you want a show like you give me a show too and so you end up with you know, mutual mas- mutual masturbation from across the room and um and yeah i mean I, are you planning on reading the, the rest of the scene i no. was gonna read the rest because i thought that it was so well done and i and like because I don't want to like explain something and then have you go and read it, and that's just boring. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna I'm gonna be reading it, but I do think that there is like you know I think like for me I would have been like well he's there they're gonna she's ready that's you know he's hard they're gonna have sex you know what I mean but the fact that you didn't do that I think was really interesting and I loved that choice that you made and I think that it was a a really bold choice and I'm like okay like like mental note I need to make bolder choices. <laughs> Like, really, because, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't think they should do it in different positions. But, like, no, it's, like, it's really not about positions. It's really about making that bold choice. If Again, if it fits for the characters, of course. But, like, I thought that this was a really bold and really smart and really wonderful choice that you made here to have them not just have sex. And I guess maybe because they have been having sex the whole time. So it makes sense that something like this is going to be the trigger for them to go, oh, wait, you are my happily ever after. Yeah. Right? Well, like if you know, it's the whole you know, you doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Right. But, but they love each other, but they've got to get over this last emotional hurdle of letting sex be emotionally intimate as well as physically intimate. Right. And he's yeah. ready, but she's always used it as a shield. Right. So I'm gonna read this because this is like so gorgeous. Oh. Would you like me to leave? He smoothed one hand over the hardness, making his clothes uncomfortable. Emma replied with a muffled groan. Not really. Her breathless answer made his cock jump anew. Want me there or here? Wrapping a hand around the length of himself, he squeezed. A playful quirk of her lips was his only warning. Emma let her knees fall wide and swiped her fingers through her lower curls. We've never watched each other before. 
stay there, but I want to see you too. Fair is fair, after all. With trembling fingers, he unfastened the placket on his breeches and sighed with relief when his cock sprang free. Emma groaned softly at the sight, then dipped her fingers into her wet heat in a move designed to capture his attention. He knew that for he he knew that quim. The scent and taste were imprinted on him forever. The lantern light gleamed off the moisture on her fingers, and he lost his breath at the sight. Ah, oh, hell, Em. Touch yourself again, she demanded, and picked up the dildo beside her. For the rest of his days, he would never forget the sight of that length disappearing inside her, or the way her eyes fluttered closed and her mouth formed a little O of appreciation, sliding his hand along his cock as, an, as another lucky piece of wood slipped into the woman he loved was a bittersweet pleasure. Waves crashed outside in a familiar song, all those nights underway. He'd thought of her, the golden beauty he'd enjoyed for one night, and touched himself just like this. What were you thinking about when I walked in, he asked, spreading a bead of moisture over the tip of his cock with his thumb. A surge of arousal shot up his core at the movement. You, she panted, one hand working the wood, and the other thrumming her clitoris. With your mouth between my legs, tasting me as we sprawled on the grass under the sun, you pushed my skirts up around my hips and I gripped your hair. He grunted, matching his strokes with the rhythm she sat, heat built in his thighs, and he leaned heavier against the door. I'm dying to touch you. The words sounded like they were made of gravel. Although she smiled, she shook her head and stared right back at him. Her pace quickened along with her breath, but she managed, I want to watch you tonight. Then he'd let her watch him. This playful temptress was familiar, but then she'd always given herself to him in bed while hiding the rest of her. His lovely Emma spent so much of her life protecting parts of herself. In that moment, when she was open and vulnerable, it felt more important to ensure she believed he saw her, all of her, and loved what he saw, especially after they'd both made such an effort this afternoon to be honest about everything. Right now, you look like a fantasy I've had for months. Ever since the first time I saw you laughing in the street and on the street in the village, you've taken my breath away. I've never dreamed I'd be allowed to be with you for more than one night. She hesitated ever so slightly at his words. Emma liked a bit of dirty talk in bed. It was a proven fact between them, but this? Not an imaginary scenario, but the truth? He had to try. The sun hit your hair because you were holding your bonnet at your side. Everything about you was warm, heartbreakingly beautiful. Your smile when you greeted the baker's wife stole my air, and I've wanted you ever since. Recovering from that pause, one of her hands cupped a breast, gentling her touch with a fingertip across her skin, making her nipples tighten even more as a flush spread across her chest. His fingers circled his cock in smooth strokes, but his real attention was on her and how she responded to his words, I see you, my Emma love, all of you, and you're perfect. Her, the column of her throat moved, like she was swallowing his words and taking them into herself as her eyes fluttered closed. You think so? The question was huge, but her voice was small. I see you, Emma, he repeated, firming his strokes to match hers. I've seen you and wanted more from the first moment. I want your heart. I crave your body. But what you write about, I want everything you describe. The moment, the movement of her hips made her breasts rock hypnotically. Malachi continued, loving her with his words in a way he couldn't with his body. Sit with me in this house and make love with me by the fire in winter. Two glasses of brandy because I won't make you share. Live with me. We'll keep each other's secrets. Her breath went thready. And in the summer, I will spend hours outside on the grass with my tongue buried in your sweet quim. 
You'll come apart under the sky so often, your chest will be pink from the sun, and you'll live every day knowing, I see you and love what I see. A cry rose from her throat, a low keening wail that shot fire through his blood and made his balls clench. When she went over the edge, he followed. He'd follow her anywhere. Oh, my God. <laughs> you are the master. <laughs> I bow to your greatness. <laughs> this is amazing. This is amazing. Um, there's a lot going on here. And one of the things that really struck me through this scene was the ability to have it's a bit more monologues and dialogues, but <laughs> but being able to sort of heighten the moment and the arousal and the intimacy through conversation, I think was yeah. really cool. Um, not as much internal, you know, I think a lot of intimate scenes when you're going there, there's a lot more internal moments that sort of come out on the page rather than conversation between the characters and whether it's dirty talk or actual emotional talk as this was I, you know I don't know I think that there's and there's an art to that and not there making is. it stilted it's hard <laughs> it's hard it's hard and, and maybe this one was easier because um it was very one-sided mm. you know her response was physical it was things like the hesitation where like because, you know, like I said, she uses sex as a barrier. She uses sex as a shield. She's perfectly happy to give him her body. Um, but when he wants the emotional intimacy, you know, like, it's almost like she's putting on an act, even though she's, she's not faking it. Right. But it's almost like she's putting on an act. Like, she's going through the motions. And, and I mean, of course, she knows how to take care of business by herself, right? And now she's letting him see. She's letting him watch. And she wants to be, you know, like, he'd asked her, you know, what were you thinking about? And her response was like entirely sexual, right? Right. The only emotional element there was that like, okay, it was you that was doing it. But it was like, this. these were the actions that your body was taking to make my body feel good, right? She was talking about the mechanics. And his response was to be like, look, <laughs> I have to show you that like, I don't just love you for like a sex goddess part of you, you know? Like, I want everything that you, I, have, I want every, I want to give you everything that you want. And I want to give you everything that you need. And so hit the, her call, the call and, and response um, of, a, of a dialogue there was him trying to speak the words to convince her that he truly, truly saw her and loved what he saw and that he would protect what he saw, that he would right. keep her secrets, that he would make sure she was safe in all the ways she needed to be safe. Right. And her response to that, that he was reacting to was like the hesitation in her body where she's like, she's not necessarily playing with herself anymore. Cause she's like, wait a second, dude, you're going off script. <laughs> like you're going off script. <laughs> this is supposed to be about, you know, body mechanics. And this is supposed to be about using words to inflame each other um, and make this like a really sexy good time. So we both get off. And instead he flipped the script and he, and he started talking about non-sexual things, but that were wrapped up in his love for her and by her actually allowing those things to be a turn on, letting them in and then physically getting off to them. That was the conversation. Right. 
like he was her response was her bodily actions and his part of the conversation was the was the words um if it's okay with you i would i i would love to use this as an example for the workshop i will one day teach about writing dialogues or <laughs> naughty parts That's i would cool. be honored okay be thank honored. you <laughs> <laughs> because this is so wonderful i mean you know to um this is just so, you know, it, it's just such a great example of one way to do it. And there are multiple ways to do it. And it can be, you know, um, dirty. I do think I have a scene in one of my books where it's just kind of, kind of filthy because that's kind of fun. Oh, absolutely. Yes. You know, absolutely. um, and that made sense for the characters, but this I think is gorgeous and does so much to propel the plot forward and the story forward and change and, and give her that sort of like that change that she needs, that, 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 that thing she needs to propel the change in her to let him, to like bring him into her life fully yeah. and completely. So beautiful. Yeah. And that's, and that's the scene. That's the scene. Like afterwards, after he leaves, that's the scene where she's kind of laying there and she's like, Oh my gosh, I really do love him. Mm. And, and she's, and, um, she, she makes the comparison on the page where, you know, the 19 year old version of her would have gone like running through the streets shouting about how, you know, like celebrating like how she, she loves this man. She's in love with this man. And it's like this big thing, you know, but being a grown woman who's gone through what she's gone through, she just kind of like cradles it to her chest and like it's fragile and precious and she's kind of marveling at like holy mm. crap look at that you know and so um he 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 achieved his objective <laughs> yeah i love it i love it yeah. oh my god bethany i could talk to you forever i know yeah it's always, it's always so much fun it's just so much fun to talk to you it you is. are definitely I mean, you're doing a brilliant thing for for writers and for readers and for you know romance landia in general with you know with your podcast but i also you're in the right line of work you know i mean you're just super fun to talk to oh <laughs> well thank you circuitous route to get here but um but thank you so much yeah i love um i love doing it and i love talking to other authors and you know what we do is so isolating you know even though like now it's no longer well i guess we're still pandemic are we no longer pandemic are we still pandemic i have no idea but things are open you know conferences are happening again i'm going to my second conference ever um this summer and then I, i'm doing a third in the fall so like, you know, we're getting out, we're meeting each other, we're meeting people, but this is like so great because I actually have like really like good one-on-one -on -one solid conversations with other authors at a job that is so isolating. Yes, it is. All I mean, I, I, I am literally sitting on the floor of my closet right now recording. I mean, like this is an isolating <laughs> job. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It's like, you know, when, when my, like, you know, when my husband and my kid go away, like, it's just like me and the dogs, like I literally... They went to Mexico for her spring break. I had to stay here for the dogs. Um, and I like literally think like went days without talking to anybody but my pets. That's, <laughs> that's kind of like, I don't know. Is that healthy? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not so sure. Oh, yeah, no, it is though. Like you figure it, it's us and our computers, you know, yeah. and we're creating these worlds and we're creating these characters and we're trying to make it believable and we're trying to make it ring true for the reader. And we're trying to make it ring, to, ring true for us as we're writing it so that, you know, it, it fits and it feels right. But it is a very um, isolating and 
solitary kind of profession unless we make very concentrated and deliberate moves to, you know, connect with other writers, connect with readers, connect with other people who understand the craft of it and the details of it and the business of it. And um, without that, I, I can't imagine doing this, you know, without uh, technology as it is. I can't yeah. imagine just sitting up here in my little corner of the world, writing books and every now and then, you know, getting a letter from my pen pal who also writes. I mean, like, I can't imagine if that was the only <laughs> oh other interaction I had. I, I would. Oh my God, no wonder Emily Dickinson <laughs> took to her bed and didn't get up again. I mean, <laughs> I mean think about it. It just, it's, oh, Lordy. Yeah, it'd be bad. It'd be really, really bad. Especially, like, I'm an extrovert. So especially for people like me. No, it would not be a, would not be a good career choice for me without options like this to be able to talk to other writers. <laughs> Well, you need to come back for part three. Okay. You Thank always you. have an yeah. open invitation. Actually, I'm saying this on record. Okay. Maybe we should do like a threesome. <laughs> like with another author? With another author. Oh, that'd be fun. That would be fun. I talked about this like ages ago. Samantha Chase was on and she was like, oh, you need to do like a panel around. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I never did. But like, maybe we should think about that. That could be really fun. That could be totally fun. I'm down for it. What would that look like? And I'd invite Samantha because it was her idea. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, Bethany, thank you so much again for for being here because it's always such a treat to talk to you. I love having you on. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And like I said, this is this is my dose of, of you know interacting with my with with, with a book yeah. person today. Oh, <laughs> so you're on TikTok, you're on Instagram, um, but you, the best place to find you, like where you live and love, is going to be Instagram, right? Instagram's where I live and love. Um, and the easiest way, I'm I'm Bethany writes kissing books on Instagram, but uh, the easiest way to find all of my little social clicks, it would be uh, bethanybennettauthor.com. Uh, which reminds me, I need to add my TikTok. You need to add your TikTok there. <laughs> and I will have links to everything in the show notes, including a link to One Click, Dukes Do It Better, because it's um, the great book. You're such a great writer. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, Bye. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I love Bethany, and her books are the bomb. So if you enjoy Regency Romance, grab some copies. Next time, assuming the in-person recording works, I have new equipment. Lisa Olick is on the steam seat live from the Fall in Love New England conference. Um, So I'll be airing that next time. Be sure to tune in and listen. And if you could do me a favor, please go to your favorite podcast app, wherever you listen, and rate and review the show. Um, We love five stars. Uh, It helps other listeners find the podcast helps with discoverability. Anyway, thank you. And until next time.